Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Housewives Archives, a podcast where we discuss in great detail, if not great length, all things Real Housewives. <laughs> My name is Ellie Nunn and joining me, I've been told time and time again he's a liability and I'm sick of clearing up his mess. It's my co-host James Evans. Liability if you're nice, a mess if you're nasty. But some would say a mess all around. Yeah. Here, <laughs> here. I'll drink to that. Hello. So are you going to tell them or am I? Share it with the class. You can oh, do the honours. God. I thought you might save me the humiliation. I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, dear listeners. Well, I'll start it now. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> For God's sake, someone say it. I had a feeling in my waters this week that Ellie was particularly busy. Obviously, as you all know, she's doing a show right now. She's doing eight shows a week. It's very taxing, a musical no less. So I just thought I'd check in with her and say, hey, how's the watch of the season going? Do you think you could watch the whole season in this week or will we have to split it up into two parts? Bearing in mind, just so you know, the episode goes out on a Wednesday. We record the Monday and this was sent out on a Friday. I then get a text from Ellie saying, I'm not going to lie to you, James. I haven't even started the season yet. I'm going to start watching ASAP and I think I'll get halfway through the season and we can make it a two-parter. So this is a Friday. So you have a show on Friday night and then presumably yeah. two shows on Saturday and then just <laughs> yeah. what? Just, just and then the then a show on, on Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, I sent my thumbs up emoji. And a wedding and on I thought, Sunday night. <laughs> I'll let her do it. It felt like a child, like a parent with a child. She has like, to I learn. I wish I could take it. She has to learn. I wish I could help her, but she has to learn on her own. You know, she needs to find out for herself. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to get oh. any more involved. I didn't want to stress you out. I went to bed last night because normally I get like a little text from you the day before being like six o'clock. Okay. To record. And I'll be like, yep. See you then. Got no such text when I went to bed, so I thought, oh, here we go. And I'll just wait for the inevitable message in the morning, being like, James, I fucked up. I haven't watched more any of it. <laughs> We're going to have to do something else. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I got about two episodes in and then mm. realised my folly, my hubris, and then came my inevitable fall from grace. So I don't know whether that was my fall from grace this week or last night when I uh, turned up at a wedding and within five minutes did a particularly kind of middle-aged woman dance move and tore my silk dress right up the armpit. Oh, I saw <laughs> on the armpit. Oh. Really tragic. Was it all the fan action? <laughs> oh, You're a bit too action. vigorous with the, the fan The fan action came afterwards because I was like, oh. fuck it, it's all gone to shit now. I, I was definitely giving mum who used to be out on the town every night and 
has been like stuck at home for the last few years and finally has one night of freedom and I was just like vigorously fanning myself to Beyonce. I like to think that you did a full Jamie Lee Curtis in True Lies where you like ripped off that one sleeve and then you ripped off the other sleeve and then you like ripped off the bottom part of the dress and then you just had some like killer little sexy number on and then slicked all your hair back and did a striptease for Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, I just walked around with an armpit. Right, just the fact, yeah. So, um, well. so instead today we were hoping that we might bring a sort of chirpy sort of just, mini episode on what we do have to talk about. You lucky things. We just thought our charm would get us through an episode and... Um, the mistake we make every week. Yeah. <laughs> I once served a couple in a restaurant and I did a really bad job of serving them. And the, the people said, you're a really bad waiter, but you're quite charming, so it doesn't matter. And I kind of took that as the <laughs> ultimate compliment and sort of like my life's thesis statement. And it's any endeavor I go into now, that's how I like to approach things. Like, I'll be fundamentally bad, but charming. That is sort of your USP, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's got me through life this far. I tell you that most charming person I think I've ever met. Me. Um, sorry. Uh, After you. I just said it was my life's work. I'm so sorry. Wow. I know. How dare I? I know we're we're at the moment in the theatre, we're in that really risky environment where people are constantly turning to each other and being like, oh my God, you'd be amazing as, and then insert character name here. And it always means there's about four other people sat there who'd like to play that part being like... Oh God. It's like Lord of the Flies territory right now. We're close. There's like mm. the pig's head on the stick in our dressing yeah. room. It's really not doing well. <laughs> Flies in buzzing around. Yep. Uh, in fact, someone from the cast the other day, we were talking about what Disney characters people would be. And he turned to me and he said, maybe Mrs. Potts? I, I went so highly <laughs> Davidson. How dare you? I was like, oh, I'm sorry. And he went, no, no, because she's so like motherly to everyone and she has the best song. I was like, shut up. Stop talking. <laughs> and then he went, oh, maybe the wardrobe? I was like, shh. Stop. Stop saying frumpy old women. It's such a dangerous game, isn't it? I remember we played it when you came to visit me in New York and it was the day I found out I had to go on stage because I was covering for someone and they got COVID. So I had to go on that day and we were walking around Chelsea Market and you thought it'd be a good idea to be like, if I were an insert inanimate object here, what would I be? And I was like, Ellie, I'm not playing this game because it's such a risky game. I can't deal with the emotional pressure right now. I'm not going there. I don't remember that at all. (laughs) very high stakes. <laughs> Love that you said it out of an object. Like I was just like, if I was a piece of furniture, what would I be, James? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, charming. I was saying the most charming person. I've been really excited to tell you this story all week. Mm-hmm. So in our show, and do stop me if I told this story on the podcast last week, because sometimes I can't remember. Okay. But have I told you about the, the thing that happened on stage with the kids in the bed? No. Okay. No. Okay, good. <laughs> no. Um. So... There's a scene in our show where one of the twins, these two like nine-year-old girls, has been really ill and she's reunited with the other twin. And the scene used to end with the parents walking out the bedroom. So it used to end on their last line, which was our girls. And then the director decided to put in an extra bit at the end where one twin turns to the other and says, hello, sister. And the other one says, hello, sister. And then the music swells and then the scene change happens. Beautiful. So we were doing a show last week and there's this absolutely delightful man in the cast called David, who I would guess is in his late 50s and plays lots of little parts in the show. And one of the parts he plays in the show is a photographer where his costume is like a high black polo neck and a black beret. 
Okay. Um, and David has to come on and move the bed off with the girls in it in the scene change, in the blackout. Why is he dressed like that? Is he like SAS paratrooper or Marcel Marceau? Or yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> right. But apparently that was the most innocuous costume he could wear in that scene. <laughs> okay. Because normally he's in the dark anyway, so you don't see him. Anyway, David, somewhere along the line, had missed out that these two lines had been added in. So <laughs> he was stood in the wing. And the father said, our girls, and walked off stage. And David, with full confidence, walked on stage, fully lit, into this little girl's bedroom, <laughs> looking looking like he'd just walked out of the cupboard. Bearing in mind it's a beat after their parents have left the room. He walks out at the head of their bed, and as these two nine-year-old girls turn to each other and say... Hello, sister. David panicked, stood there dressed like a cat burglar, <laughs> and then thought, well, I have to come on and move the bed in about three seconds, so it's silly for me to leave. So he just leapt <laughs> on the headboard and just smiled at them. <laughs> oh, my God. I think he should have lent into it and gone full on SAS paratrooper and been like, right, where are the drugs? Honestly, he it looks... <laughs> Hands in the air. And we were all saying if there had been any other scene change or any other cast member, it might have been okay. Oh, it is Black Beret as well, all in black. But it's the charm that carries it through. And that's, it's that kind of energy that we will be bringing to you today. That we will be bringing today, exactly. But we we do have stuff to talk about today. So we're going to do the usual Beverly Hills recap. Mm. Ellie has just begun Ultimate Girls Trip. So we're going to dip our toe into the first episode. Yes. I, I messaged, I, I didn't manage to watch enough New Jersey, but somehow I did manage to have time to watch the new Beverly Hills. Hmm, and yeah. <laughs> message James. Don't know if that and say, rubbed salt into the wound or made me feel better. And say I'm going to watch the first episode of Ultimate Girls Trip so we can talk about that. So should we start with Beverly Hills? I actually have a bit of news before that to oh, give to you. I didn't know whether you'd know or not. I'm assuming no. It's about Real Housewives, probably not. I mean, why would you? So this is good. This is played into what I wanted because I wanted a first-hand reaction. It's been a big week for love. So between Ekinsu and Davide winning Love mm-hmm. Island, thank you for letting me know. We also have Teresa and Louis tied the knot two days ago in New Jersey. Oh, wow. So it's been all about the star-crossed lovers confirming their love for each other on a national stage. I'm going to send to you a picture of Teresa Judice in her wedding attire. And just no judgment, just whatever comes to mind, just give me your first reactions. Okay. Oh. Oh, wow. See, now, when I opened it, the little you on my screen, on Zoom, was covering her head. Oh, the important bit. (laughs) So I was like, that's quite tasteful. Don't know about the gloves. And then as I scrolled down, I was like, holy mother of beehive. (laughs) It's like one of those like stretching portraits in the Haunted Mansion, but in reverse. It just like goes up and it gets more and more comical. (laughs) Exactly. Good Lord. Yes. God, you know what? My first thought is she must have had a hell of a neck ache the next day. I know. How we suffer for beauty. I've got a very tall wig in the show and I've got a neck ache. Oh, wow. She's got 
full neck brace there. The weight of it. Thankfully, our roving reporter, Macy Nyman, was on the ground and she she crashed the wedding, hid inside Teresa's hair and uh, got (laughs) us these exclusive snaps so that we can dissect it today for you lovely people. It has since been leaked on the internet, so I'm sure you've all got an idea of how Teresa looks. But if you haven't, Ellie, would you care to just describe what you're seeing here? Okay, well, um, she's carrying sort of the entire contents of the Chelsea Flower Show. Yes. It's the largest bouquet. I honestly, it's a good job that she did all of that weightlifting for a mm-hmm. while because it turns out it was all just geared towards... This is what it was all for. Lugging an entire forest <laughs> yeah. down the aisle whilst balancing <laughs> four tons of hair on her head. Um, the dress itself is actually quite tasteful. And then it's just, it's very, it's giving me... Um, Jordan and Peter Andre vibes. It's almost an homage where it's funny to me that it's almost like someone doing an homage to like an early 2000s wedding. Yes. Well, I I would have totally believed you if you said she turned up in a carriage. I think that's been like a big thing that's come up. What you said is Katie Price. And as you said specifically, not just Katie Price, but Katie Price when she was Jordan. Exactly. It's very drag queen doing Jordan. The glittery gloves. It's very my big fat gypsy wedding. The dress you say is very tasteful. I will say if you have a glimpse of the back of her dress... She has a long train yeah. with the words sempre insieme oh my God. embossed on the back of it. So I'll just I'll send that to you for, for reference. No, I can see it. I'm looking. Oh, you got it. Okay. What does it say? <laughs> it means, um, I think my limited Italian, I think it means always together, oh, which obviously funny. is tacky as fuck. But I think it's also a bit of deeper research. I think it's meant to be a tribute to her dearly departed parents because apparently... Our roving reporter, Macy Nyman, also has taken photos of their tombstone and it has that engraved on their stone as well. And Teresa also had it tattooed on her. I mean, lovely sentiment. I just, the mm. idea of starting to embed words in your veil as it trails behind is just another level. I mean, if Teresa's nothing else, she's very literal. She's not subtle with anything she does. She wants the message That's to get true. out there loud and clear. She'll literally spell it out. Well, congratulations to her. I hope you sent her a fruit basket or something. <laughs> Clear, it's going to go straight on the head. <laughs> but don't you... I mean, I want to send you one more thing as well, actually. A fan account made a compilation of each of Teresa's wedding looks side by side. So there was the one in her original marriage to Joe. Then there was that one, mm. that re- that photo shoot that she did where she was renewing her vows to Joe. Yeah. And then there's this one as well. And it's striking how similar the look is with each one but just her hair gets bigger and bigger and bigger each time oh my god yeah isn't it crazy it feels quintessentially Teresa and it sums up a lot about her to just like not change at all but if anything just double down on whatever it is you're doing that clearly isn't working yeah it's just this it's that it's almost like a very naive thing of this time like if I make my hairs even bigger then the wedding will be better I once, a therapist once used an analogy to me, so already we'd have lost Teresa, but, right. um, <laughs> about that if you have a lot of shit between you with someone, and then instead of clearing it up, you just put a new rug on top, and yeah. then more shit builds up, and then you just put a new rug on top, and each time there's a new rug, you're like, ah, lovely, like, that's great, but then it builds and builds and builds, and that ultimately what you're left with is like a shit lasagna, and... Mm-hmm. I feel that with Teresa's hair, with this in a way that it's like, rather than deal with her stuff, she's just like, add another hair piece on top. Yeah, completely. It's just, I'm going to keep on going down this track and I'm not going to change my hairdo. I'm not going to go for a beach wave or anything like that. I'm just going to add another hair piece in. And this time, third time's a charm. This is going to be the one. And I think we all know how this story is going to end. But 
Totally. I can't wait to see it. In 10 years' time, it's going to be stratospheric. It does speak to the kind of childlike naivety of Teresa as well, that with free reign and a seemingly unlimited budget, this is the look she'd go for. It's like, you know when you, you watch Disney movies as a kid and you grow up thinking that Disney princesses are the height of beauty and glamour and you see, you go to Disney World and you see all these little girls running around in little Disney princess dresses and they're really feeling their oats and everything, feeling like the most beautiful yeah. creatures in the world. But like if an adult were to actually wear cinderella's dress and she had the physical attributes of cinderella she'd look like an alien it's not easily translatable in real flesh and blood Mm -hmm. it's meant to stay in the world of cartoonery and it's like teresa's never made that transition from childhood into adulthood where she realizes that that doesn't translate and she's just bringing to reality the wedding exactly as she envisaged it as a child yeah well, I wish her well. Yeah. Above all else, I wish you well. I hope she enjoys the carriage before it turns into a pumpkin and Louis steals okay. all her money. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing Should else we, we take in it. Send a metaphor. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. God, there was another one last week where the timing of between our two Zooms meant that in the edit... It was another one of those ones where you sang a song or something and I sang it at exactly the same time, but in the edit, I sang it like one line behind you. And it honestly makes me want to die when I listen every time that that happens because it makes me sound so sad. Oh my God, did you hear it and not change it? No, Ellie, I, it was, if anything, you were even further behind me and I had to edit it so that you were more in line with me, but you were just fundamentally singing it at a different tempo to me. So wherever I put it... What were we singing? Um, oh, it was, um, you make it. Okay, let's do it. Three, <laughs> two, one, go. You make every day a birthday. No. This is just, I think this is very convenient. You always blame it on the Zoom connection. I just, you know, some of us get to the joke quicker. <laughs> wow. 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 Right, Beverly Hills. <clears throat> This episode took me all the way back to the beginning of the year when I was doing a show that was being ravaged by Omicron and it felt like every show around us was closing because everyone was getting sick and we were all just in a perpetual state of anxiety that someone Mm. would get positive and the whole thing would close. So I sympathise with the ladies. It must have been very frustrating for each of them to kind of like take it in turns to take themselves out of the running of the drama and isolate for a week only to come back. and And then like for production to shut down and start back up again and shut back down again especially over the the holidays and i can see how that probably had a real effect on the narrative momentum of the show yes, that's true and you really do feel it here in this episode where it was basically just one long scene that was in lisa rinner's back garden there's no bells or whistles or anything it's like she just laid out a tablecloth plonked down three bottles of rinner rosé or rinner wines or whatever she's called it and then like called it a day and i think it exploits the floor with the Beverly Hills technique of narrowing in on one person and kind of exploiting Mm -hmm. them as a well of drama for a whole season. Because it does mean if Crystal's got COVID, she can't be there. If Diana's got COVID, she can't be there to be like, so you say? (laughs) And they're sort of scrambling for something else to talk about. And then, of course, all roads lead back to Rinna being really hurt that Sutton brought up Elton John's table. Oh my God, I couldn't believe that it had come back. And I was like, how are we back here? How is this how low we're having to scrape the barrel? I know. I never thought I'd see the day, but I was like, this is such a non-event. Can we bring back Kyle? I miss Kyle. I need Kyle 
here wow. to do something. That's how desperate I was for something to happen. I mean, if we have to talk about it, Rin is just a big old hypocrite because I think that this all stemmed from Sutton making a catty comment on Watch What Happens Live. Rinna lives and dies for Watch What Happens Live. It's like where she has full reign to be in this arena where she can just ham it up and give herself over to the conceit of the show, which is basically to say catty things, like take a sip of your drink and look into the the camera and give a wink. And it's all sort of fun and games. So for then suddenly for her to be like, son, that was shady. Don't come for me. It just feels like a big old dollop of being able to dish out, but not being able to take it. It was all, but also it was all just like the most performative over the top. It did not hurt Harry. It did not. No. I just couldn't believe coming off the back of watching like New Jersey and like the rumours about Evan or something to this where it's like about whether or not you wrote a thank you for a charity event that Mm -hmm. you were a guest. It's just so weak. And also just very classic Renner to have had that lunch with Sutton and then do such a kind of 180. But also Sutton just quite quickly sort of owned it and apologised and Renner just knew that this was all they had for this episode so had to find ways to be like no right. I've decided I don't forgive you for yeah. the entire thing yeah we saw in the, the crap. in the preview for the next episode at the end of last week this shot of Renner being like I will take you down and I was thinking how are we going to get there and it was just yeah. her seemingly out of nowhere when Sutton made no comment about her kids or her exactly. husband being like don't come for my husband don't come for my kids if you come for them I will take you down and you want to go that's okay because no one did yeah yeah exactly so there's not an issue she's such a frustrating televisual specimen and she's such a cautionary tale of less is more because I will say at the beginning of this episode she had me on all fours basically howling and it was just her making a cup of tea in silence Rinna is fundamentally when she's not trying to be a very funny creature like I made that meme of her a couple of weeks ago just like making a cup of coffee and just sitting and drinking it in peace for me she's very funny when she doesn't think she's being watched and it's almost like obviously she knows there's a camera crew there but if she suddenly got an idea that they were actually going to use this footage she would have been like whoa like fallen over yes, or something yeah, be yeah. like whoa I'm wacky and it's just as soon as the women turn up it's all like it's Harry Hamlin oh my god I wrote about blowjobs in my book hey Harry how are my how are my blowjobs out of five ah! and it just my <laughs> my ears close and my eyes glaze over oh, I don't know I really switch off I definitely I got I know that maybe this sounds mad considering that we have an entire podcast about Real Housewives, but I really do find disingenuineness such a turn-off. And it's why I don't like Lisa Renner. And it's there's something amazing about all of the housewives who are quite authentic bring something that means that whether I agree with them or not, I enjoy watching them. They don't get under my skin in a way where with Lisa Renner, she's just so performative and so into her own hype and like the biggest perpetuator of her own hype in a way that this episode just really highlighted because she hasn't really been at the forefront of this season. And suddenly it was like she was given an episode to it was like, see what drama you can make from nothing. Yeah, suddenly I've been thinking about her for the first time in it feels like ages and I find myself getting cross all over again and just talking about the same things we probably talked about in the Lisa Renna episode that we did. And I don't know, she just feels very, I was talking to a coworker the other day about Chicago when Lisa Renna was in it. And we both agreed that it probably would have gone on for about four hours just because it would have been full of Lisa corpsing or like messing up lines and be like, and like take it from the top and like (laughs) stopping a song in the middle because she fucked up a line and be like, ah, (gasps) and then like everyone being like, 
and then being like, I'm sorry, guys, from it, from the top, a one, two, three, and just absolutely loving it. But I actually think that that lack of theatre experience has damaged her because she could do with understanding that sort of symbiotic relationship a bit more between a performer and their audience, where after, like, you sort of, it sounds so pretentious, but this is, it's Housewives Archives. Hey, hey. But... <laughs> I feel like after a while of doing that, you kind of get an idea for what an audience is into and what they're not and when they're sort of getting tired of a certain shtick and when you need to move on and keep the the pace going. But I imagine when you're just filming with a camera crew who have known you for 10 years and they're just going to indulge whatever you're doing, you kind of lose sight of that a bit. Yeah, well, it definitely felt like that happened on this occasion where it was just a real misfire. It's very on brand for Lisa Rinner to try and trick us into misremembering that Provence, a trip I genuinely forgot about, was this like hilarious iconic moment in Beverly Hills mythology and also for kind of blindsiding Erica with an intervention for her drinking the week before and then this episode being like come to my house and do a wine tasting like a wine tasting (laughs) she's I mean also she's really no different from Luan this whole thing of how like someone was like suggested Rena Rose and then suddenly she's bringing out Rena Rose or whatever and everything she brings out is so like cheap and rushed and just like know. quick get it through as quickly as possible and I'm like that's no different to Luanne suddenly being like my next book will be called Cool with the Countess or whatever <laughs> it's the it's Countess such an cool. awareness of your own relationship with the audience of being like oh everyone will love that if because someone said it in a way that it just looked like everything looked like she just made homemade bottles and like slapped a label on that said Rena Rose I think it does sum up how she's maybe phoning it in a bit more as well, because at least back in the day with her other products, they were kind of weird and specific to Rinna, like her doing adult diapers or her dance workout or even her lip kit. There's something about that that makes sense, but there's just something so generic and run-of-the-mill and non-specific about a range of wines. At least, with, at least with Luann's, it's non-alcoholic and that's something to do with her storyline. It just feels like with this, she launched it specifically so that she could make a catty comment about Vanderpump Rose in one of her confessionals. Or something, you know, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, exactly. she hadn't really thought it through much further than that. Can we talk a bit about Erica? Yes. I am sorry, but <laughs> the more that Erica talks about getting some good dick the less I believe she's having any sex at all. I double down on what I've said. I thought exactly the same thing. Thank you. Anyone who's like, yeah, I actually got some really good D last night. I'm like, now I don't believe you did. Yeah, it's all show and no go. I've never seen some... I had exactly the same response when she said that. And when when they were like, well, aren't you dating them? And it's like, "Mm, no, it's just sex. I'm like, convenient. Hmm. Yeah, no names or it just feels very much like, oh, yeah, my boyfriend in Canada who I met at summer camp. Totally. And also the whole thing of being like, oh, when I accidentally wrote to one guy being like, that was some good D and they were like, hang on, I'm trying to like... Get you. my D like, to you. Oh, because yeah, everyone... Yeah. I'm just like... I'm like, that... Mm. I don't think that happened. I don't know. I don't want to sound like a prude, but it's yeah. like the thing when Kyle in Ultimate Girls Trip was talking about fucking Mauricio in the middle of a benefit. I'm like, I just think you all talk about sex don't too much. It. It's not... I don't think it's true. I don't know why they all do that. And but, but just with Erica specifically, I know we mentioned it in the Erica episodes, but I've never seen someone on television who incorporates sex so much into their persona who at their base level seems so asexual to me. Totally. Where it's like, I can't really imagine imagine erica having sex but if i do it's probably a case of technically she's very proficient but very lacking in um artistic interpretation of the material if you will i feel like there's no passion there totally but also i just find it really hard to like two things first of all after a marriage that long to tom where i can't imagine tom was having sex no no 
for quite a lot of that. And she'd talk about sex a lot then as well, in a way where I was always a bit like, okay. Oh, like, you're overcompensating because be you like, can't really Oh, right trust now. me, yeah. like, he's fine there, where I'm like, yeah. is he? I, no. uh, but also, I think she shows so little earnest vulnerability that I find it very hard to imagine her, like, in a vulnerable state with someone, which, in a way, sex always is, mm. to some degree. I don't know. I just find it really hard to imagine. And I feel like she's going on about it. And the whole thing about the dominatrix thing is because she feels like she's starting to lose a bit of her persona Mm -hmm. on the show in a way that it feels like one big overcompensation. And I prefer it if she didn't feel like she needed to. There's something very narratively cyclical, isn't there, about the dominatrix thing, about Erica going from role playing as a dominatrix in Berlin, just for the novelty, Mm -hmm. to her kind of, I mean, she's not obviously not going to, but to her kind of like semi-seriously considering it as a viable way of paying off her mounting legal bills. It's like, oh, how times have changed. But yeah, there's something about, I don't know, at least with my friends, when we talk about sex, it's really odd. No one I know, if any of my friends said, oh, I got some really good D last night. It just feels like a very odd thing to say. I'd be like, I just assumed that they'd follow it up with a funny story about something embarrassing that happened. Or like (laughs) conversations as we've had about sex. It's like weird terms that people use. It's like, you know, we've all seen sex in the city. It's always someone having an awkward, funny story that's related to it. I just can't imagine a scenario with any of my friends where one of us is just like, I got a good fucking. I think you're right. I think that's one of the reasons I find it weird is because it's very like demonstrative. The way she talks about it isn't, in order to connect with people about it or to like share or to have people ask questions. It's just like this weird declamatory yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like statement of being like, I'm telling you all. Yeah. Which I would also it would it would make me cringe if someone did that to me in life. I'd be like, okay, go for you. Erica's a bit like an alien that's come down to earth and she's understood that sex is an important part of the fabric of human society, but she still hasn't quite got to grips with the appropriateness of it and how to compartmentalize it yeah she reminds me a bit of scarlett johansson in under the skin where she's like technically a very beautiful woman and she understands the importance of the trappings of sexuality but still the actual purpose and meaning yeah. of sex has completely evaded her do we have any more on beverly hills before yes. i'm quite eager to talk about ultimate girls trip because it's fresh in my head yeah let's just i have one more point about beverly hills and this will be good to follow up with ultimate girls trip because Ultimate Girls Trip is really fun, and this point is really sad. Oh. My heart really sank when they all started discussing Crystal's eating disorder. I found it... I I hated it. It was so abhorrent. I couldn't believe it. I just feel so awful for her. It's not fair. I mean, it was bad enough when Crystal was there, but she's not there to tell her own story. I just thought, who the fuck are you, Dorit, to announce that Crystal's purging? Like, that's not your story to tell. A hundred percent. And also... To all start publicly discussing, I, again, it, I say the same thing again, where it felt like we just haven't got anywhere since season two. Completely. A Beverly Hills of Learning, not to talk about someone's issues and your opinions on whether or not they should be like sharing or whether it's damaging without them yep. present. You're allowed to talk about something like that with friends privately, but publicly on a platform on television is really yeah. not okay. And they should be ashamed. And I'm not being flippant here, But it feels all the worse because I would bet my bottom dollar that the vast majority of the women sitting around in that back garden have some form of disordered eating or body dysmorphia. And it almost feels like because Crystal was brave enough to come out about it on Mm. the show, 
they've seen it as kind of carte blanche to just sort of shift all their all the focus onto her. Yeah, I was gonna say that. That like remember the amount like the response we've had for Lisa Rinna because of Kim Richards saying, Why don't you eat mm-hmm. a piece of bread? So for them to think exactly like because Chris will put a label on it, it's suddenly okay for them to talk about it where they've all had such strong reactions to any mention of disordered eating mm-hmm. in the past. I just think it's terrible. Yeah. So, Ultimate Girls Trip. Yes. Season 2. Um, so, I've mm-hmm. only watched the first episode, and um, my initial thoughts are, I maintain that I would love to go to Bluestone Manor, and I'm still so gutted that someone... Was it Maze who found... It was obviously <laughs> Maze who found um, oh, yeah. that there was like a trip giveaway to spend a weekend in Bluestone Manor. And I honestly was like frothing at the mouth at the idea of getting to spend a weekend there. I love it. I just think the grounds look so beautiful and I just want to go there desperately. It's my idea of Disneyland. But would you, you get to stay at Bluestone Manor, but Dorinda has to be there. Mm. Would that change your opinion anyway? No, I need Dorinda oh, to be oh. there. Oh, okay. No, I know Dorinda's gone really dark, but I also do love her as a host and I love her vibe and I love her connection to the house. I love the way she talks about it. I love her pride for the house. I love the way she takes everyone around and the host. I just, I just want it. I just want to crawl inside. I love her pointing out the tree to Phaedra and Eva and being like, the rich is there. I, said, I loved it. This is Richard. This is my spot with Richard. I, I feel him there. <laughs> I love when she was like, you know, it's funny. I don't, I don't feel him. But um, but uh, but but in the backyard, he's in the backyard. I I feel him there. He's, he's rich. He's rich. That's a bit Steve from um, Sex and the City. It's Miranda. Miranda. I I feel rich as them. But yeah, my other main takeaway from the first like five minutes was just good God, their faces. Mm-hmm. Taylor, Taylor's face. Taylor's face. <sighs> it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because Taylor's face. And it's not, I don't mean it in a shamey way. I just found it really like, oh, I guess I do mean it in a shamey way. I get, I like, I can't, no, there's no I, getting around that. Like, I, I don't mean it. I'm not, I'm not like pointing at her being like shame. It's more that I'm like, what a shame. Yes. It's, it's a tricky one because I feel like you don't want to feel like you're taking part in a system that kind of like pressures women into getting surgery to look younger. And then we sort of make fun of them because of it. But also mm. some of them need comment in some way. I don't know what that kind of comment is, but it's the same with Brandy. It's um, they're, they're really two peas in a pod in that way. They are. And it just made me really sad because it feels like I can sort of just see the mm-hmm. person underneath-ish that I remember. But it's honestly like a full like mask on top. I remember listening to a podcast with the actress Wendy McClendon-Covey. Try saying that when you're drunk. <laughs> it's quite the tongue twister. The interviewer basically said to her, how do you feel about this idea that there aren't enough parts for women of a certain age and she basically said yeah there aren't enough parts for women of a certain age but what i can tell you is is that there's even less parts for women of a certain age who have had their faces chopped and changed to buggery so that they're completely unrecognizable and that their mm-hmm. face can no longer move and show expression and basically do their job and i think ironically acting shares a lot in common with the artistry of doing reality television and especially when we're thinking about ultimate girls trip season two where the whole conceit seems to be that it's some sort of ex factor style boot camp Uh, exactly where all the women are basically auditioning to get a part back on their respective shows it feels counterintuitive for someone like brandy and maybe to a lesser extent taylor to have 
had so many fillers that their faces are unrecognisable, first of all. If the aim of the game on Ultimate Girls Trip is to sort of remind the viewers of why you're relevant or why you're an important part of the show and to tap into the nostalgia that we had for you, I don't know why you would change your face so much that you're virtually unrecognisable. Also, it compromises their ability to do their job, which is to cry and to show emotion on their face. Yeah. So then when we have instances of Brandy trying to squeeze out a tear, her face just sort of crunches up and like it will bulge out in the middle of her brow line or something in a really strange way, like she's some stress toy. And it, yeah, it compromises the work that she's doing. That The thing of it feeling like a boot camp, that's just like the, the biggest takeaway from that whole episode, and I'm sure the whole series, is it is such an odd environment to get together. I mean, brilliant. I like imagining Andy Cohen coming up with that. But to get together like 10 fired housewives who are like frothing to get back on the show. Yeah. And to give them that platform. And it's the whole thing is just like really tragic and really like faded, jaded Southern Bells. Completely, yes. Sort of sense of like getting together, roaming this house. They're all like miss, they're one step away from Miss Havisham. I was going to just completely. Being like, I mean, even the fact that Vicky's just been jilted. Yes. And they're all like desperate for a fight desperate to fall out with each other because they know it's not even like let's just get together like 10 repellent people it's like let's get together the people who know exactly what the show wants from them mm -hmm. and then just like chuck in some very strange curveballs like you say taylor is like an odd addition because she's not naturally a fighter and also my one worry with having taylor there even from that first episode, is once again we've revisited, unless this is the show trying to make reparations, but we're revisiting a lot of season two where it feels like, you know what I was saying about with Dorit and being held at gunpoint, that it's like you can't have that and then try and get back to like the flippancy of an Elton John yeah. Yeah. charity event or whatever. It's a similar thing where I'm like, oh, if, if it's meant to be just women kind of battling it out in a sort of squid game hunger games last man standing in order to get back on the show introducing like taylor talking about the trauma she went through with the show and things like that feels very serious in a way that even by the end of that first episode i just hated brandy all over again maybe that's the point is that like it, to have brandy sat there being like that was the hardest year of my life when your husband killed himself yeah the show creates a really interesting push and pull and you very quickly get an idea of where some people have changed considerably in the last 10 years or however long it's been since they've been on the show. And some people like Brandy have not changed a jot. And I think the scene, I think it happens in the very first episode where Taylor and Eva, first of all, I love Eva's complete normie energy. It feels like she's like won a competition to be in the show. Like she's just surrounded by these other legends, fangirling. She's incredible. A, I love her. B, I have no idea who she is. Because mm -hmm. I've watched quite a bit of Atlanta but I somehow I've never seen I never watched when she was on it's like a strange bit of casting she was on it for like three seasons later on she feels like a very very strange choice yeah I feel like someone must have pulled out and she was like a last minute addition or something but yes but she just feels like she's great all the others feel like batshit and yeah. she just I absolutely love her I love her style I love her vibe I yeah. just want to be friends with her I think she's fab and I think she served a really the scene of her and Taylor when they're sitting on the steps in the back garden and they have a moment bonding over what Taylor went through and then Eva was like I, I'm also a victim of abuse and they cried and I just thought how different things might have been in season two for Taylor if she had a friend like Eva if she'd had someone that's so true and I think that's where the show is actually 
at its best sometimes where I because you know we keep saying you know it's like times haven't changed since season two but I feel like Mm. Taylor needed that so I think she needed to have this conversation again with a group of people who are more enlightened just by virtue of being part of a society that has progressed considerably over the last 10 years. Totally. And how sad is it that in Beverly Hills, they haven't got any better? Yeah. But we've just been talking about that eating disorder chat and it just shows that it feels like Taylor could have gone back into Beverly Hills with the same story and situation and still had everyone kind of eye-rolling and being like, Taylor, we've had enough of your story. It happens again later on in the season. She picks another fight with Brandy and basically the fight is, I can't believe that you outed that Adrian had a surrogate for her children. Mm. That was really not cool. And basically all the women come down on the side of Brandy and they're sort of like, Taylor, why do you care? This happened years ago and it's nothing to do with you. And it's sort of, yes, it wasn't anything to do with you, but also... I think it's why the show is really good. And I think that was another thing that I thought was kind of reprehensible and that people sort of glided over it and didn't really address it. And I think it's a really good reason to bring up these old, like, why else are you going to be here? You're all these faded dames living in the past. Like, talk about shit that happened in the past with a new angle. Oh, I really want them to talk about the Brooks Cancer thing then. (laughs) Do they talk about it? I don't know. It's really interesting. I wish they would. That's. I wish Vicky Gumbleton would be more pushed about that. She, oh, she gets pushed. Does it end, the first episode end with Dorinda screaming spittle in Vicky's face about not being vaccinated? No, no. Oh, no. okay. Oh, can't wait. No, no. The first episode ended because Brandy was like calling Taylor bitch and doing just like complete 101 Brandy drinking and telling Vicky to shut the fuck up. And Oh, yeah. Good times. Brandy hasn't changed yeah, at exactly. all. It's just... Not a not a jot. Not a jot. She always has the same thing, which is that you always think, oh, I actually don't mind Brandy, and then she drinks. And it's like, wow, you are the worst person ever. I think she really loves to put herself in a position where she's being victimised. I think people don't really care. No one really cared about Brandy. No one really had a background with her, but she kind of puts herself into situations where she has a drink and then yells some abuse at someone or tells them to shut the fuck yeah. up. And then it's like, see, I'm just so anxious because everyone's going to hate me. Yeah, yeah. Vicky Gumbleson, true to form, just like desperate to be back on the show can't understand why she's not and just just as high strung and irritating and just drives me mad in the time between the show airing on peacock and now we've already had two of the housewives announced to be returning to shows taylor and tamra and that's so interesting because they're pretty low-key for most of the run and then it remains Mm. to be seen but the likes of Vicky and Dorinda and Jill Zarin, the ones who desperately, voraciously, clearly want to be part of their shows again, haven't been announced. And I think that is so telling, especially with the Dorinda element, her just wandering around the house like Miss Havisham, this obsessive repeating of being on pause and Brandy being like, why are you saying on pause instead of I got fired? It really clarifies why Dorinda went through that period, I think, on Roni, where she just seemed to be inherently triggered by anything Sonia did and how delusional Sonia could be because I actually think those two are really a lot more similar than maybe Mm. Dorinda would care to admit. I mean, Bluestone Manor is starting to look a little bit like the townhouse. Yes, absolutely. And and it is, yeah, I I think you're right. I think that they do have more similarities. They're two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. I love that Jill Zarin was just completely left out of the opening thing, (laughs) even to do some kind of, but I'm going to come late. They just so clearly hate Jill Zarin. Bravo hates her, Andy hates her. It really makes me laugh. Without giving anything away, when she makes her grand entrance in season two, it goes exactly how you think it would be. It's like Jill making this grand entrance with a big stunt. Very self-referential. And of course, the whole thing lands with a complete thud. It ends with one of them at least being like, who's that? (laughs) Literally, I know. (laughs) 
So I'm, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Is it an improvement for you over season one? For sure. Season one felt so clunky and forced. And also the problem with getting together all of the most popular houses is they were never going to fight because they all want to look good. Complete, Maybe, yeah. They, yeah. Ramona. But these guys have nothing to lose, really. So Nothing to lose. They're placed in what, yeah, you're right, basically an insane asylum in the middle of nowhere. It's just the perfect setting for them to just run around. Someone's going to die by the end of it. From Tamara's first talk, head even though I found it really hammy when she was like couldn't say Massachusetts whatever especially because she said it right the first time and then she was suddenly like oh yeah I need to like make me and Vicky's relationship I don't believe that those two talk that much they're desperately trying to scramble to get back the kind of like everyone loves us as a duo but from Tamara's first talking head I was reminded that she is just electric on script like she's just so good at these shows and at talking to camera and she does look amazing she does she's yeah. got the best plastic surgeon of all of them like she's the hottest housewife in OC Phaedra also looks very hot I totally forgot about Phaedra's kid being called the president or Mr. President or whatever he's called he's called Mr. President <laughs> what yeah they call their kid Mr. President oh I didn't know that I, that completely passed me by how can you not know that I remember the pickle shoot when she was pregnant with the kid but she calls him Mr. President. Yeah. Oh. Wow. So this is what it feels like to know more than James. No, it's the only time that's ever going to happen. Um, I'm very much looking forward to to watching more. Mm-hmm. And um, I love the way that Bravo keeps occasionally dipping its toe in weird cinematic tropes. Like it began with all of these sort of sweeping shots as if it was a Hallmark movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Of like the Berkshires as we approach Booston. And also when Dorinda was talking about her bed being like the UN and all of those weird... <laughs> Um, animated flags popped up and I was like what are you doing oh, they love an overzealous edit these days and I'm not sure how I feel about it but I think the real cinematic trope they should be leaning into is just complete slasher movie haunted house aesthetic oh yeah that would have been so good I feel like a lot of the promotional material it looked like the front cover of like a Cluedo board or something it's just like all of them in their very fall attire standing outside the manor like they could all be holding like a candlestick and a rope and a bit of lead piping and everything. Like one of those hidden object games that I love. Oh, yes. <laughs> where it's like the fall of Lake Creep. The very same. Your brother's been stolen. Oh, she's still going on. Hey, it's a mini episode. This could go anywhere. To finish off our mini episode, mm. I had another story that I thought would make you laugh yeah. to cap off my chaos for the week. I had to film a self-tape this week and I had no time. And we had one morning free. So I went to someone in the cast's house to record it, sang my song, did like three takes, only had one take I was happy with, got back to the theatre, was trying to put it together to send to my agent uh, before the matinee. And I thought, I'll just watch it back. First 15 seconds, all fine. I'd recorded it in slow motion. (laughs) (laughs) It was me singing There's a Fine, Fine Line from Avenue Q in slow motion. (laughs) (laughs) How did that work? Could you get it back? Imagine. And also, because the first 15 seconds was okay, I very nearly wouldn't have watched it and I would have just sent it. Where's your microphone? Oh, yeah. What? That's the other thing. Okay. <laughs> In Nottingham. Just realised that. Great. Cool. And I love you for it. <laughs> I think I'm a liability. Mm. Oh, you're saying no, nothing. I'm saying nothing. Go no, on. No. I'll leave you to clear up my mess. Shall I take us out? Yeah, take us out, please.
Take us out. Thank you so much for joining us this week for this little mini episode, run at 53 minutes, of The Housewives Archives. (laughs) If you want to know more, then follow us on Instagram or uh, if you want to help us out, then leave us a review or just tell your friends. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.